Hello and welcome to ELT Time with Garnet Education, where we talk with an industry guest about the hot topics and what's brewing in the ELT community. Hi, uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm Chris Little. I'm a senior editor here at Garnet Education. Um, and earlier today, it was my great privilege to talk to Zarina Supan, who's a freelance teacher trainer uh, who's been working in ELT for almost 30 years. Um, she's taught at all levels in private and government institutions in very many different countries, uh, as well as in the UK. She specialised in critical thinking skills, um, student autonomy and CLIL, working in a very wide variety of training contexts. Um, her interests include the neurology of learning, educational psychology, uh, differentiated learning, and the professional development of teacher skills. And today I was talking to her about race in ELT. Here's what we had to say. Yeah, thanks so much for making time for this, Serena. Um, so how does your status as a, an ELT teacher, educator, um, teacher trainer interact with the colour of your skin? I mean, say, where you are now in Latin America or, or anywhere else you care to mention. Sounds quite quite a complex picture. It is, but um, professionally, I think... Because I'm, I'm freelance and I am brought in by um, certain publishers or, or uh, universities to do various workshops or presentations, um, I don't have to deal with it in a certain way as I may have had to before. Mm. Um, so I'm a known entity that's been brought in and there's that trust already there that, oh, they're, they're organizing it, therefore this person is going to be um, a reasonable speaker. Um, whereas if I was doing it and having to sell myself, I think I might have a very different experience because then right. I'm being judged at face value, literally. And so I think things would be different. So it's a little bit hard to, to judge in that respect. But when I get to a place, it's often interesting to, to see the reactions because people may not have bothered to read my description of who I am or, or where I'm from or, or they may not know enough of my background so they'll turn up and then they see me and it's like oh right okay right. Uh, and and you <laughs> yeah. you can pick up on those things you know within seconds yeah but you feel there's a difference when you're say under the imprint of a of a major ELT publisher there's a certain kind of color blindness say or maybe not color blindness but a kind of you're there in a certain role, so you're... So I'm trustworthy. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. One of the points that you made on, in your email, uh, let me just find it. I think you mentioned the worth. Y yes, you said the word credibility, and I think that comes into it. Um, Jenkins talks about it in terms of credibility to his students, but I think it's at any level of, of working with people in ELT. And... Yes, I think until I, I sort of open my mouth, sometimes people are wondering, who is this person who's come to supposedly tell us about English language teaching? She doesn't look very English to us. Is is you know quite a common thing I I have to face. And then when I open my mouth, they're, they're like, oh, okay, well she's she's clearly 
a native speaker. And that touches on, on what Jenkins says as the sort of dual complexity of outwardly not appearing to be a native speaker, uh, just from the color of your skin. And then actually they hear you speak and you're accepted as a native speaker. Yeah, there's a kind of, um, I guess you could call it a cognitive dissonance of some kind. Yes. Uh, he's talking about, as in his case, as, a, as an African-American, the colour of his skin leading people literally to doubt, I guess, that he's American, um, which I don't know what you would say about that. I mean, it seems to me that kind of goes some way to showing just how intertwined the notions of, of being a native speaker and being white are. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it, it's, it's su- at such a subconscious level that you can't necessarily say that it's a person being racist, if you see what I mean. It's not that they go around believing that uh, a native speaker must be white, yeah. but until they come across another situation where someone is not white, they don't realize that they have that perception even. Right. Yeah. It's something quite deeply embedded in culture that doesn't boil down to an individual bad attitude, say, but it's something rather more implicit. And you implied uh, in what you said about people coming to be taught by you or trained by you that you you pick up on their expectations and the distance there and then you open your mouth and they hear you speaking English in what they recognise as a, a, a British accent. Um, do, do you think that people are fairly quick to sort of adjust their expectations and get over their initial impression? Is that your general experience or are there things that continue to, to be difficult? Well, I've, I've because of, of it happening so many times and mm. my sensing that that is clearly an issue for some people, I almost always start a, a workshop or training event with information about me so that we can get that out of the way, as it were, and then we can get down to business. Um, and I find okay. that helps um, the whole dynamics of everything working. And I, I've tried not doing it, and it, it takes longer to get down to business with some people, I would say, um, because they're still maybe dealing with a, an internal barrier or, or there's some resistance in some shape or form, and, and it's affecting the way uh, they're interacting with materials, with me, with what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and so I, I really find that if I go in and, and try to pretend it's not going to be an issue and just mm. go ahead with, with what I'm there to do, it becomes an issue for some people. And during the break time, you know, I'll, I'll get somebody coming up to me and say, so, so where is it you're from exactly? Um, and, and they don't really want to say because you don't look <laughs> British or you don't look like you're from here, there, or wherever, um, or they'll say, where, "Where did you, where did you fly in from? Where did you? How was your journey?" And um, oh, it's goodness. sort of subtle, yeah, subtle questions like that. So, if I, however, start with a maybe a little quiz about what do you think might be true or false about me, and I always plant in a sentence that is about my ethnicity. It gives the opportunity to pe- for people to say, oh, you look like you might be from India. Um, and almost allowing for people to say what they are thinking 
I think, clears the air and gets rid of whatever perceptions there may or may not be in the room. Um, and I find that a, a much healthier atmosphere to work with. That's very interesting because there's a level on which some people, of course, you could argue white people generally, for instance, who were in your position could, could walk into a room and they um, would be much less likely to have to do that in order to clear the air. I find it interesting that you've kind of developed this strategy, it sounds like, to, to, to deal with a, a more or less inevitable kind of negative reaction to your appearance. Um, it sounds like quite a weight to carry around, I don't know, um, knowing that you'll have to do this. I think at probably one point in my career, I was sort of thinking, well, why do I have to do this? You know, and there, there was a certain sort of reluctance to even bother. It was sort of almost like, well, it's their problem, it's not mine. So, you right. know, yeah. should I even bother? Um, but yeah. then I, I quite quickly realized that it makes my life easier in the training room or teaching. Um, so actually it does make a difference to me. And at the same time, um, I think I kind of thought about the fact that, well, I'm, I'm here as an educator, um, and therefore it may be about ELT, but at the same time, you know, you can educate about the world and, and, and tolerance and other things at the same time. So am I, you know, doing, fulfilling my duty in those senses as well? Um, and now I think, um, I've gotten to the stage where I don't know if it's inevitable, but it's, it's to be expected. And in a way, it's a bit like going into an English language teaching classroom, preempting what the class are going to find difficult uh, and what may be a barrier uh, linguistically. And, um, you know, thinking those things through in your lesson plans so it's a smoother experience, uh, smoother learning experience. Um, and so I, I think I see it in those terms now. I think it's it's uh, an easier way to to deal with it. I I don't want to feel like I'm getting on my hobby horse and let's talk about race type of thing and putting it in their face when it's it's perhaps an issue that some people haven't even really thought about in depth. Mm. So you're framing the start of a lesson, a session. It sounds like with questions, maybe rather than correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're kind of doing a a quiz or something like that to see what people's impressions of you are. Yes, yes. And um, in the, the ELT fashion, it, it acts as an icebreaker, it's a warmer, mm. it's all of those things. But at the same time, I'm, I'm just touching on some things that may be an issue or are a question in, in people's minds about me. Um, and if that, that's always going to be there, it may get in the way of what weather supposed to be there to do. And interestingly, um, I think you mentioned um, in terms of being a woman in ELT. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, Does that make a, an additional factor? Um, and I think it possibly does because I've, I've sometimes spoken about these things and other female trainers in my line of work have said, ah, oh, but is that because you're a woman? Right, and so some of them have experienced similar things. It's not necessarily um, to do with the learners or participants on the course, but it may be to do with event staff, and, and you're going to hold an event in in a particular seminar room or events room of a hotel, and it's how staff there might might treat you. Quite often, I you know you want to turn up 
half an hour, 40 minutes before an event just to set up and make sure the room is as you wish it to be. Um, and quite often I, I come across you know, somebody who's not going to let me in because the event doesn't start until 9am. And I'm like, well, I'm here for the event. He's like, yes, but I, I can't let you in yet. And I was like, right. well, actually, I, I am the event. Can I please get <laughs> And I and have to sort of persist a bit before I'm allowed in through the door. So, yes. And you feel that's some kind of intersection of sexism and racism? Yes, because I think it's happened to, to quite a few women in, in ELT who roll up for these types of events as well. Yeah. Um, it's assumed that they may be the, they're, they're one of the teachers who's come along for the event. Right. Um, <laughs> or they're, they're a bit too early and they're a bit too keen, but um, they're not going to be the speaker because perhaps they're expecting a, an expert male to, to arrive to do the job. I'm not quite sure. I, but yes, it does seem to, to happen to, to some women, at least, that I've spoken to about it. That's interesting. And it sounds from what you're saying like you feel that's, that's a kind of commonality with women in ELT that you share. Do you, do you feel there are aspects to your experience that, say, white women wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily understand? Or what have you been your experiences in terms of um, attempting to articulate your your experience? Yes, I think that sometimes a person who is clearly identifiable as maybe not non-European, Western-looking person, yeah. I think it's a fine line between not wanting to assume that that is the reason for being treated in a particular way. Um, and mm. so it's it's interesting for me to hear other women in, in my line of work and their experience. But at the same time, I think there's an additional layer to things that naturally they may not have experienced because they are more identifiable as a typical person that you might come across in, in the ELT world. And right. so, yes. So I think, um, I think until you walk the walk in someone else's shoes, you don't, you don't really get to appreciate how it is. And it's difficult to say because, and, and I think that's the difficulty of some of the issues that come up. They're so subtle that. Yeah. You know, whatever the way of whether it's discrimination or being treated differently, it's so hard to put your finger on and say, well, it's because of this reason. Because there may be a whole number of reasons that, that you know, that person responded in the way that they did to you. Yeah. And they themselves may not be consciously aware of why they responded in the way that they did. That's very interesting. Yeah, the, I was reading in um, Rennie Edo Lodge's book. There's some interesting stuff in there about intersectionality and um, Kimberly Crenshaw in particular, who's an um, African-American lawyer, I believe she's a lawyer, who talks about the way in which discrimination legislation, I guess we're talking in the States here, but as I understand it, it's something that, that applies to other countries as well. The problems of intersectionality and the way in which legislation, often with the best of intentions, takes the experience of uh, black men being racially discriminated against or white women being sexually discriminated against and the unique experience of... Um, african-american women in the u.s being mm. kind of lost somewhere just in the the, the the subtleties of experience being 
actually minimized. So um, I guess that's a very long-winded way of kind of saying what you were you were saying about walking in someone else's shoes. It seems like there's there's a lot of literature about the ways in which these perceptions that people have of each other can interact in very complex ways. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's very hard to compartmentalize such experiences. Mm. And you've spoken about how you deal with situations, say a session where you have the opportunity to sort of kick it off in the way that you choose. What about situations where you maybe have a little bit less power? I'm just wondering about your career when you apply for jobs, you deal with people that you're working for. Um, How do you think your race has kind of affected those interactions in your career? Uh, Yes. Um, Interestingly enough, I think I could probably break it down into two areas. And one would be the area in the classroom, the classroom experience. And one would be the area of the colleague experience of working with your peers. And I really looking back, I would say that um, my classroom experience, far fewer occasions where I became aware of my race or ethnic background or how I was being perceived. Um, But it's occurred much more frequently dealing with other people who work in ELT, uh, colleagues or or superiors. One example was um, I was doing English for academic purposes, pre-sessional courses um, at a university in the UK. Okay. And I remember walking in for my first class with this group who were primarily made of made up of um, there were students from China, Malaysia, Philippines, and I think I had one student from Holland in the group, someone from Germany, and maybe a Spanish or French student. I can't quite remember the, the whole makeup, but predominantly Asian in the group. And when I walked in, um, the Asian students saw me and they didn't really sort of give me a second glance. And and I got the feeling that they thought I was possibly one of the students and I was going to join their group. Um, And I remember thinking, oh, the room's a bit stuffy. I'll go across and open the window. I put things on the front desk and I switched on the lights. Mm. And as I was switching on the lights, because I was to one side of the room, one of the European students walked in, I think it was the Dutch student, who was male, white, uh-huh. uh, blonde, and he sort of walked in and hovered to decide where he was going to sit. And I I was really conscious of everybody just sort of sitting up slightly and noticing him, and there was an air of expectation, and then he went and sat down amongst them, and there was a, a bit uh-huh. of confusion. And I thought, I think this is the moment where I should maybe start the class because people don't <laughs> seem to know who I am. <laughs> and, uh, and when I started this, this air of confusion lingered for a few seconds and it was like, but, but who are you? Um, and, um, and I just sort of cleared the air and said, well, welcome and, and started the lesson. But it was, it was quite comical, you know. Yeah. But that's one of the, the very few occasions where I, I really felt that, uh, it was so noticeable. Um, and in the same institution, I'd walked down the corridor to the staff room and just walked in 
and I hadn't quite um, bagsied my my desk to work at. So I walked in and uh-huh. I was just sort of seeing what desks were still available before I, I went and claimed one as my own. And immediately somebody sprung up from from her chair and walked towards me. And I stepped out of the way thinking she was rushing to, to leave the, the staff room. And she said, yes, can I help you? And I said, uh, no, it's all right, thanks. Um, hi, I'm Zarina, and put out my hand to shake hers. And uh, she shook it and said, yes, uh, Zarina, um, the classrooms are just down, further down the corridor. Oh, my goodness. And I said, yes, I've just been there. Thank you. I've just finished my class. I was just looking for a desk. And I knew exactly what was going through her head, but I just yeah. didn't really wish to make it any worse for her. So I just thought, let me explain without explaining at the same time that actually I'm one of you guys. I'm on the other side of, of this. And uh, there was a slight embarrassment and, and you know, off I went to my desk. And so those kind of situations, are, I feel, are, are much more likely dealing with my peers than actually um, dealing with learners and people in the classroom. Do you feel this is something that there's much awareness of among ELT teachers, trainers as a profession? I mean, as I understand it, it is a heavily, heavily white profession. Mm. Yes, I would agree with you there. Do you think that this is a situation that people, broadly speaking, are critically aware of? I mean, I don't want to make that assumption because there's no reason to think that white privilege wouldn't sort of self-perpetuate. But um, I'm just interested in your impressions, really. Um, No, I, I don't think people are generally aware of it. And I would say... At the same time, why should they be? Because going back to my comment of unless you've been in someone else's shoes and, and experienced it that way, it's just not something that comes to mind. And if you have that privilege, you wouldn't think of things in any other way. Um, and I, I'm talking about it from both perspectives as the privilege of it being viewed as a native speaker, person with authority, because you were born and educated in the UK, therefore we will classify you as a native speaker, having had that privilege. And yeah. then not having had the same privileges as some native speaker teachers may have had um, until you have that experience on the other side, I don't think it would be an issue. And because, as you say, it is um, a predominantly white profession, if you like, um, I think to be made aware of it, um, it has to be someone of less privilege who has to point it out to you. And I think that in itself is an uncomfortable place to be in as well, because you don't necessarily want to go around saying you have no idea what it's like, because why should they? Um, And at the same time, you don't want to make it into a huge issue for people who it doesn't affect. It comes back, I guess, to the responsibility that you feel, as you were saying, with with your sessions, with your classes, your options are either to do your best to educate people and take that extremely heavy responsibility onto yourself Mm. or uh, to at best sort of put up with their attitudes. Sounds like rather an impossible uh, choice to make, like not neither of the choices are exactly good, I suppose. In an educational context, when you're leading a lesson, I suppose, 
you're at least there as an educator. But if you're talking to colleagues, there's no sense in which it's your responsibility to educate them. No, and and I think that that delicate、um, relationship of how you deal with your peers and work with your peers you know, has to be at the forefront of things because you know you have to have a good working relationship. So you you, you can't get too. Defensive or accusatory about things, either.、Um, not that 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 is the way to go. But、um, for example, that example I, I mentioned of walking into a staff room and clearly being seen as you must be a student, and there not being any awareness that I might possibly be one of the, the staff. You know, you could react in very different ways to that, and by being conciliatory, you're, I guess. I don't want to say you're allowing people to get away with things, but、um, you're allowing your relationship to progress from that moment, and you're almost saying, "I'm not going to let this moment affect the way I treat you or react to you as a person."、Um, something just happened there where you assumed something that was not the case. And maybe I'm going to leave that with you to reflect on,、um, but I'm I am not going to be the one to highlight it and point it out and bring it up because it's, it's obviously going to affect our relationship. That sounds like a reflection born of deeply thought through experiences.、Um, I can see how you would arrive at that conclusion, but I also wonder if these events are. Actually, repeated in such a way that you can see a pattern, which I think is what you've more or less said. There must be an extent to which that causes anger and emotions that are difficult to deal with.、Uh, yes, at times,、um, when, for example, professionally, I, I've been working in working and living in something like eleven or twelve different countries. So sometimes. That experience comes up in conversation. So when I was working in, you know, this happened or that kind of thing.、Um, and on one such occasion, I had come back from a three-year stint of working in Nepal, and I come back to the UK, and I was working in、uh, sixth form college, working with students who were preparing for TESOL exams,、uh, students who were preparing for the IELTS exam. Um, and students who were doing their A levels,、uh, and they were all put into、uh, an English language class together. And because I'd just come back from this this experience in Nepal, which was very rural, and、uh, the setting that I was working in as a teacher trainer,、um, you didn't have access to photocopies, and because there was no electricity and、uh, things like that.、Um, so I came back to. This UK setting in education, where you know I could just nip along to、mm. the photocopier and get whatever I wanted done, and and you know I was taking a lot of pleasure from that, being able to do that again, and、mm. um, <laughs> and so I, I guess I was talking about that a lot, and that the head of ELT in the department、um, once I, I I was very new there, maybe been there two or three weeks, and she said, you know, if I had my back to you, I just I just wouldn't know. And I said, "Sorry, you wouldn't know what." And she said, "That that you know." And she suddenly got rather embarrassed about what she probably wanted to say, but suddenly realised, "Oh, I can't say that."、Um, and she said, "Well, you know." And I thought, "I'm really not going to make this easy for you." So I said, "No, no, I don't know." And she said,、um, "That you're Nepali." 
My goodness. And so from what I had been talking about, she had made this assumption that I was from Nepal, born and brought up in Nepal, and here I was having come to the UK to work. And, and I was like, um, but I'm not Nepali. I don't believe I ever said I was, did I? And she said, oh, right. aren't you? I thought, I thought you said you came from Nepal. I said, no, I came back from Nepal. Maybe that bit you hadn't gotten. And really our, our conversation just sort of petered off into just an air of embarrassment on both sides, I think. Right, yeah, wow. And so experiences like that, you know, just, just have taught me to, um, I guess, be tolerant towards everything that people might be thinking about you. And really a reminder that it's about them and not you. It later came up um, that the head of ELT and myself were sharing that the teaching for that group of students. And it later came to my attention that there had complaints been made about the other teacher. And at one point, that teacher said to me, well, they all like you because um, they see you as, as Asian. And, and so those kind of comments of where professionally you can't even be accepted as maybe a good teacher because there are other reasons why why you may or may not be liked. And so that, I think, is where it gets more, more depressing for me. Um, people have attitudes and it's like, well, you know, you really can't change the world, so I'm not going to get angry about that. But when people refuse to even recognize your worth because they've labeled you as X, Y, or Z in, in their own mind, um, then that becomes more, I think, um, oh, unfair somehow. And I think that's, that's when it, it starts to, to feel hard. Yes. It's a very explicit refusal to recognize you as a professional, as a fellow professional, sounds to me to attribute your success simply to your race. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, had it not involved a complaint about that person, it might have been different. So it was it was almost sort of, well, what on earth, why don't they like me as their teacher um, was probably the threatening thing. And perhaps that's what it comes down to in the end. I don't know. The feeling of being threatened, I'm not sure. Mm, it's interesting. Edo Lodge talks about this sort of defensive instinct of white privilege. I don't know if that resonates with you, but defensive is a word she uses a lot when she talks about trying and largely failing to articulate the concept of white privilege to white people. Yes, and I'm not sure if it's it's necessarily just about white people either. I think if you start to try and explain any group of people's privilege to them, it does actually naturally put them on the defensive. Mm. Yeah. Um, if I am grouped as a native speaker and I'm told about the, those privileges I have as belonging to that group, you know, I, I can also understand why people may get defensive because it, it starts to be about um, qualifying yourself and having to state maybe a, a right that you have that you didn't even realize you had and is it perhaps because it's to do with guilt as well because if you point out 
what a person has done wrong or, or how what that person has said may be offensive, then they're having to, I suppose, defend why they may have said that. And maybe they were thinking, maybe they just were not thinking uh, that might just be the, the problem. Um, and, and it brings about, I suppose, a sense of guilt. I guess telling a group of people that they've benefited from certain things which, when you examine them, are obviously unfair, probably provokes guilt in some way. Yeah. So although um, I agree that there is a sense of defensiveness, um, I can understand why it exists at the same time. So I, I partly would, would agree with what Edo Lodge has to say, but I, I don't think that's the be-all and end-all of it either. I think I just have, yeah, just a couple more things, if that's okay. Also really open to anything else that you'd like to say about anything we've discussed. Um, one thing was about race in ELT materials, published ELT materials, and how you feel that race is presented in ELT materials, or maybe how you feel it's not presented. Um, what are your feelings? I would say it's portrayed as culture rather than race, to be honest. Mm. Um which is a valid point because you have to work across cultures and you know most people are using English as a lingua franca so that I, I can see why culture is um, presented. I think it's avoided if anything, possibly because I mean one, once you're in the ELT world it, it no longer is about black and white um, and there are different levels of racism and We've been talking about white privilege, but that's not necessarily the case in other countries. Um, you have privilege, but people are not necessarily white who have that privilege. And yet, a black may be um, discriminated against in that country within that level of, of race there. Um, so I think if it's going to be portrayed, how is it going to be portrayed? That's the other question. Um, mm. And I, I think in a way... ELT course books have tried hard over the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years to not make it Eurocentric. Um, and I, you know, hats off to publishers for, for doing that. But I think there's still a long way to go. So when, when something is, is brought up in terms of, I don't know, Japanese culture, let's say, it's, it's often about food and uh, ceremonies or, or festivals and that's the angle. Mm, um, yeah. And I think when maybe images are used to portray students, um, it's it's often multicultural because it's maybe foreign students studying in the UK, and it's about their experiences perhaps, or you know, introducing each other, and they're from different parts of the world, and uh, and that works. But so I I think uh, race is is maybe there subtly in ELT course books more so than it used to be definitely um, which is a plus and it's good to see but I think certain assumptions about race are still portrayed I remember seeing for example um, one section about children in I can't remember the country a country in Africa I really can't remember the country it was um, and they loved football and, and it was a, a little piece about their world and how a volunteer was working with them and the kids were depicted as being 
um, from, from poor economic backgrounds. The volunteer was white Western. Um, so it was mm. a nice thing that they had a piece on Africa, on an African country with a different world to the one that may normally be portrayed in ERT course books. Yet at the same time, those stereotypes were, were being reinforced. And, you know, if I was somebody growing up in an African country, I might look at that and say, well, not all of us are in that economic situation and we have volunteers of our own as well. You know, why does it have to be portrayed in that way? Um, so yeah. I think for, for some publishers, just the, the presence of people of color may imply to them that they have a good balance of, of race and diversity and images. But what they do with that is still, I think, a bit of a, a problem. Mm, that's very interesting. There's a sort of, um, I guess you could call it like a kind of global course book perspective where maybe there are people of different races with different skin colours in the book, but their differences, if you want to call them that, are fairly easily resolved or mediated by speaking English to each other. And I wonder, it's the kind of situation you're talking about where they're studying English together, so there's a sense of commonality in that, which in itself seems positive, but I suppose there's an implicit assumption that racial difference is fairly unimportant and we all sort of get on with studying English. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's that's a thought I've just had as you were talking. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of it as, from a publisher's point of view. Is it just too explosive to even touch and therefore it's safer not to. I'm not sure, really. But I, I would just, you know, I would just like to say, pick up an average ELT book, flick through it, look at the images and how people are portrayed. And probably you will find that if it's about a particular country, then you're going to see more diverse images. And if it's just about English around the world, then probably mm. less so. And I don't know why that should be. Uh, I don't know if there's a reason for it. And I think it would be healthier if, if it was all just a, a little bit more thought through, I guess. We're guilty of doing the same in, in the UK. You, you think we're a multicultural society. But again, it, it, it comes down to food and festivals. Mm. And But are we really? Is, is what I would like to question. Well, I suppose describing someone in terms of their culture can can be a way of effectively othering them can't it and reducing someone to what you perceive as their cultural norms especially in a situation where not everyone has an equal amount of political economic capital it can be a quite an effective way of keeping people in their place i guess yeah yeah and and it may seem very very innocent, but you know, when you've got images of a black person in an English language teaching a book who is either, I don't know, depicted as, as a, as a warrior in a tribe in Africa or as a musician or as a sports person. And those are the only ways mm. that they're depicted. It's, it's sending out very subliminal messages of what to believe and what to think about people. And 
until we start breaking that down. You know, if you see a sort of Indian-looking face, are there always going to be a doctor in a hospital in an image in the book, or could there be anything else? And the people having fun or volunteering or travelling around the world, they always have to be white-looking. There there was an interesting um, conversation around a, a video that was made for a country in Latin America, uh, and it was to promote tourism. And all the tourists that were depicted in the short video uh, were white. Mm. And so, you know, there's that image that if you're a foreigner and a tourist in that country, they're going to be white. Um, And that says a lot. And that's not about privileges of white, because he's a Latino classified as white. They would experience discrimination themselves. Uh, and yet, you know, that group of people can also discriminate against others. Mm. So just because I am a, I'm a teacher educator of color doesn't mean that I am free or unable to discriminate mm. against others either. So it, it's a it's a really complex issue. But I think breaking down assumptions and stereotypes is, is maybe a start. It's, it's not necessarily just black and white. Yeah, and I guess course books in ELT have certainly a lot of power to to reinforce assumptions, um, given how many of them sell around the world. And the kind of images you're talking about are they're sort of um, quite idiomatic reproductions of colonial culture, aren't they? Like the volunteer in Africa or the tourists in Latin America. They're they're kind of nominal representatives of um, colonialism, I guess, of colonial attitudes, or they at least certainly reinforce a set of stereotypes. I think maybe we've, I don't know if we've moved on from colonial perceptions, but I wonder if it's more of economic power now. Uh, and I think that's what it depicts more, economic power and privilege. I, I would agree. To the extent that you know, um, countries who have maybe an indigenous culture, um, customs, young people growing up in those countries are, are shunning those things because they want to look like a person who has economic wealth and power. And, and therefore that sort of reinforces negative attitudes to someone in the street who is wearing um, indigenous clothing, for example. Uh, certain assumptions might be made about that person, about their economic status, about their position in society, purely based on, on what they're wearing. And that's much less to do you know, with the colour of their skin. Mm, how interesting. Yes. So I think there's, there's a lot more involved, definitely. So I think um, in, in the course books, these things can also be, be tackled and questioned, or at least get the students to think and reflect about perceptions that they hold and why. And do you think, I guess implied in what you've just said, is that you feel um, you can use course books and their content maybe as provocations for a discussion of the ubiquity, say, of certain kinds of dress? Um, I mean, I'm (laughs) struggling to think um, how much non-Western dress I've seen in course books, for instance, like probably it's in the kind of category of cultural interest that you mentioned, you know, Mm -hmm. with no sense of the politics. Is the course book for you like 
a way of of starting the conversation or how how would you characterize it is it something that's there to be challenged and discussed and is it useful in that sense or absolutely yes yes why why not um i i once heard a comment made in india actually uh, after a meeting saying it was an american person a woman who commented on on why uh, the indian members at that meeting uh, the females had worn a sari and it reflected on how she perceived the traditional dress of india as being a traditional person and depicting a certain kind of behavior simply by having worn that so so she was sort of alienated by this decision that she perceived women to have made to wear traditional dress yes it's the modern setting it was a modern environment the topic was very modern and yet here were these women really traditionally dressed how odd was was um, the perception so i, I think uh, there's room for discussion on on all levels of perceptions and discrimination Serena, th- thank you so much i feel this is a conversation that <laughs> i'd like to continue <laughs> Maybe for several hours, but you've so generously given uh, your time to us. In fact, probably more time than you intended, partly because of our technical difficulties. Um, Is is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, Firstly, thank you very much for for asking me, because it's the first time I've ever actually been asked to comment on race in ERT. I find that extraordinary and bewildering, given, I mean, in a sense, it's I suppose everything that we've just been saying makes it extremely unbewildering, but um, I'm, I certainly feel very privileged to have talked to you today. Um, thank you so much. I, I hope that we can do something else because I think that this has been a great conversation and I sense um, there's so much that you could you could tell us about. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I'd be really interested to see sort of what, what comments from you know, people who experienced similar things or not or, or whatever perspective um it would be nice if, if there was some reaction it would definitely the idea for the podcast really is that it's people talking to each other in a room virtual or real as we've just been doing and and that it's about things that that affect the elt profession and people who who work in it today and i think the discussion about race is certainly one that's not been had enough so i hope it will be part of a an ongoing conversation i hope so once again zarina thank you so much for for giving us your time today i'm really sorry about the technical stuff um but i'm really glad we got there yes yes it looked like we weren't going to so thank you it did i was wondering whether we were gonna just um yeah gonna have to give up but um cheers zarina thanks yeah i'll be in touch all right take care bye And that was the final episode of Season 1 of ELT Time. Thank you for joining us and we hope you've enjoyed the episodes. We've definitely enjoyed chatting with so many interesting people within the world of ELT. Head to garneteducation.com forward slash podcast for show notes and information about today's guest. And just before we leave you, we can confirm that there will be a Season 2 of ELT Time. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. If you would like to get in touch or be involved in Season 2, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Garnet Education. But for now, thank you so much for listening. Bye!